This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Welcome to The Drink Tank on Edible Radio. And now here's your host, Gibson Thomas. Hello and welcome to The Drink Tank. I'm your host, Gibson Thomas. And today I'm very excited to talk to our guest, Dennis Trotz, who is the CEO of Carolina Wild. Carolina Wild is a producer of wild muscadine juice in North Carolina. Welcome, Dennis. Oh, thank you, Gibson. It's a pleasure to be here. I, uh, I, we first met standing in line for Bloody Mary, I think, at the Southern Foodways Alliance <laughs> Symposium last, last October. Um, so it's, uh, it's nice to keep up, keep up the connection. So, Dennis, you and your wife, Elizabeth Maxwell, returned to her family's property in Pink Hill, North Carolina, in 2012. What, Elizabeth's parents needed help? Yes, uh, they're, they're in their, uh, you know, mid-80s, and, uh, well, we needed some help, and we were able to uh, to move back to the family farm to help out. And they had been farming on the property for many generations. Yeah, we, as far as we can tell, back to the late 1600s, early 1700s. And traditionally, a tobacco farm. Yes, it had been a tobacco farm many, many eons ago. It had been a tobacco farm up until about 20 years ago, uh, and then it became mostly used for for grazing grass fed cattle. Are there still cattle there today? Yes, that's uh, that's the main thing on the farm now are, are cattle uh, that are uh, grass-fed and, and uh, had been raised by my father-in-law until about three or four years ago when he leased the land out to a local farmer. Oh, wow. Wow, really interesting. There aren't that many grass-fed cattle uh, ranches around, so good for you. Yes. So, so you had there been muscadine vines on the property? Uh, yes, the, the property is uh, somewhere around 800 acres, so it's it's quite a quite a large farm, and, and there are areas that had um, quite a bit of wild muscadines growing in the in the woods, if you will. Um, and at the same time, um, my father-in-law had planted some muscadines, uh, relatively small amount, with the trellises and so forth. And he had he'd always had a muscadine vineyard, if you will, or or grape arbor, you know, all of his life. And uh, so it was. It's a relatively small amount, but they've always been there. Yeah. So tell let's tell our listeners. I mean, I grew up 
in in North Florida and Alabama with I would ha- my grandmother would always bring scuppernines and muscadines to the to the house and I would taste them. But I think a lot of people, I mean, they really are indigenous to the Southeast. Native Americans used to eat them, um, but they're not widely known. They're certainly not widely distributed across the rest of the country. Can you give us a little bit of the history of the fruit? Sure. Um, uh, way, way back in about 1524, uh, Giovanni Verrazzano, who is well known for his his exploration of the New York area, um, actually went by the coast of North Carolina and found and wrote about uh, all of these, these fruits, which uh, he called muscadine, which we think is kind of uh, close to muscatel or, or muscadat mm-hmm. wines that, uh, you know, he was familiar with. And uh, so he wrote pretty extensively about it. And then shortly after that, uh, Sir Walter Raleigh came to the same area, and uh, he wrote about the, the abundance of this fruit growing even, even into the surf of the ocean. It was so abundant. And so th- that's one of the first kind of recorded Western history is of the muscadines uh, in North Carolina. And what's, I read about something, the mother vine that is in another town in North Carolina that they think is 450 years old. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's actually in the same area, and we believe this is what they saw, both of those guys. Uh, it's in a town called Mantio, which is near Pill Devil Hills, North Carolina, on mm-hmm. the Outer Bank. Mm-hmm. And it's just in some guy's yard. It just happens to be growing. And it's 489 years old, and uh, best that anyone can tell, it has been there forever. It still produces a crop every year, and... Uh, is uh, is everyone considers it the the, the real first muscadine uh, in, in the, the Americas? Wow, and that's different than wine grapes, which have to be replanted periodically. I mean, if this if this yes. thing is four hundred and something years old, yeah. Talk about the the taste. I mean, I, I can sort of taste it now, and I feel like my local markets, maybe just Whole Foods markets, once a year, you can find muscadines there, Um, even even in California. But it's definitely a distinctive taste. It is a a distinctive taste, and I would argue even more distinctively, the smell is very distinctive. Mm -hmm. Um, Muscadines are are different than uh, than what we consider grapes, Western European grapes. As you mentioned, they don't have to be replanted every year. And they also have uh, another chromosome. They have 20 chromosomes instead of 19. So that's what people feel, some of the reason why they're so hardy and they grow so well in a in a sandy, humid environment. But the taste of it is is really kind of hard to explain. It's sweeter than say cranberry juice or pomegranate juice, if I can draw a parallel. But it's it's also has a multiple texture, multiple tastes. It's, it's not just a single blunt kind of taste. It's a multiple taste. If that's the right word. There are more than three hundred types of cultivars, believe it or not, of muscadines. And so you have some that are big and bronze-colored, like the scuppernong that you referred to, which was one of the... Mother vine is actually scuppernong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are a bunch of others that are even all the way down to little small black ones. So our, our juice that we've been working on is trying to combine those for the least amount of sugar that we can go and go for the highest nutrition. And that taste that, that we've kind of created and that the muscadine produces, I, I would refer to it as a, a multi-note taste that is both sweet but not cloyingly sweet, not overly sweet. 
Mm-hmm. Well, so I, I read that it has uh, polyphenols and antioxidants at the levels that pomegranate juice has, probably what more so than blueberries then. So it really has some amazing health benefits. It does. And, and people feel, the experts feel that because it grows in a harsh environment uh, by the coast, by in, in sandy soil and high humidity, these antioxidants and polyphenols are, are really part of the plant's defense system. And, and because it is such a harsh environment, its defenses are very strong. So it actually has uh, double the polyphenols of pomegranates, uh, wow. much more than bl- blueberries. It's, it's an, amazing, uh, an amazing fruit that uh, really it's high time that all of us uh, were exposed to it, I think. Yeah, so right now you've, you've planted more vines uh, on your property and you're encouraging other people in your area to do it. It seems like it was sort of a depressed area of, of the country and tobacco farms have gone away for the most part. Right. Um, it had traditionally been uh, the center of U.S. tobacco production. At, at one time it was 50% of all U.S. tobacco production back in the 50s and 60s. And there was a, it was a, a fairly uh, wealthy area, eastern North Carolina, because of tobacco. Mm-hmm. Uh, as tobacco has phased out, there's been no real substitute crop that, that makes the kind of revenue that tobacco did. So as a consequence, the area has become quite depressed compared to its past. And uh, we believe by adopting our juice and, and selling our juice that we'll enable a number of farmers, ourselves and others included, to plant these grapes, uh, this muscadine grape vines, which will be great for the area uh, aesthetically and economically, we think. Yeah, that's fantastic. If you can encourage other people so far, have you had much luck with that? We have. We, we actually have about a dozen growers that are um, looking at our contract and really interested in, in what we're doing. We're, we're holding off a little bit until we get a little bit farther along commercially because I don't want to get ahead of myself on supply. But uh, the, the response to the, from the community has been fantastic. We, we have a lot of interest in folks planting uh, muscadines. That really is exciting. And for you to create a market, I know your background is in startups and entrepreneurial businesses and incubating those. I'm sure that's really helped in this. Yeah, it, it's, um, it, it is. I, this is my eighth startup, and uh, I've had my, my share of successes and, and not so successful. But at the same time, uh, when you look at an area like eastern North Carolina, and there are other parts of the country, I think entrepreneurship and particularly agricultural-related entrepreneurship is a really good idea. I think we need to promote it as much as we can. Yeah, there were uh, people that were talking about starting a sort of an ag school out here for farmers, not so much how to farm. There are plenty of other people that do that and do that well, and a lot of people are already doing that, but really how to add value to the products that they're producing and growing and the business of it. And like you said, you don't want to get too far ahead of your, you know, with your supply before you have the market. I think too many businesses fail because, you know, they aren't looking at it from a business perspective. So you bringing that to this is really, I think, great for you and great for the whole community. Well, well, thank you. And I, and I want to compliment uh, California as a state, you know, generalizing, has, uh, does a tremendous job of branding specialty agricultural products, maybe starting with California raisin and going to almonds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it goes on and on. And, and we have actually 
use the model of, of the success of the California product. When we meet with farmers, when we, we, we meet with sweet potato farmers, just generally to get them to, uh, you know, you ought to look at packaging, you ought to look at labels, you ought to look at a brand of sweet potato. Uh, and it's something they just hadn't done before. They're, they're oriented toward producing commodities. So my hat's off to California for that, that really smart way of bringing agricultural products to market. Great. Well, I hope that sweeps across the nation. I just want to remind our listeners that we are, you're listening to The Drink Tank. I'm your host, Gibson Thomas. And today we're talking to Dennis Trotz, the CEO of Carolina Wild, a pretty new to the market. I think you just went online last month with sales. Is that right? Yeah, it's been about eight or nine days uh, since we started selling online. That's right. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, so tell us how the muscadines are harvested and pressed. I know they're cold pressed, right? And that preserves the nutritional right. benefits. Right. That's right. We, uh, we actually have a number of suppliers at this point. So what we do is we, we basically harvest the grapes. They're actually harvested both by hand and by machine. We have about 12 different types in our juice. So we have kind of our secret recipe, and it's made up of the kinds of muscadines that need to be harvested by hand and the ones that can be harvested by machine. Uh-huh. Um, so these, these, uh, this harvest takes place, and we actually concentrate the grapes uh, using an evaporative process, which is you know, very easy on the grapes, and it, and it prevents the heavy fermentation. Grapes are really, they really want to ferment, so we, we try to, to hold that off <laughs> before we can get them processed, but uh, then they're, they're uh, put in, uh, in refrigeration, and they're sent to our, our bottling facility, uh, where they, the bottles are, are actually filled uh, cold, as is with the juice, and then it's sent to a high-pressure processing facility that actually processes it after it goes in the bottle and has its label on it, where it's processed at 87,000 pounds per square inch also cold the whole time, gives you the benefit, if you will, the equivalent of pasteurization, but doesn't use any heat at all. So we retain most of the nutrition of the, of the actual fruit without, uh, you know, using it up by using heat. And wow, uh, that's so how we make our juice. So that's, in effect, you're canning or preserving it once it gets into the bottle. Yes. And that preserves the shelf life of it. And so what, when, when the muscadines are actually harvested and they go into big bins, then you have to go through the destemming process like grapes. I know muscadines have a very uniquely tough, the outer skin is very tough. And do you press that and keep the skins or what, what happens in that actual well, process? Well, we, we do two things. One, we, um, we do press the, the skins, uh, which results in uh, pulp and seeds and skins that becomes separate from the juice itself. Uh, that's known as pumice, P-O-M-A-C-E. And what we do with the pumice, we, we actually have a patented process where we extract more polyphenols from the pumice and add it back into our juice, which is kind of a, it's an interesting and kind of complicated process. But what we're trying to do is retain as much of the nutrition, and there really is nutrition in that pumice. It's just hard to get it out in the past, but... We're, we're mm-hmm. excited to be able to take advantage of that. Sure. That's fantastic. And I know a lot of people, I was just in some vineyards yesterday, and they're turning the pumice back into the soil as a yeah. fertilizer of the soil, which is terrific. How do you recommend people drink your juice? Well, it, it's a great question. Number one, it's, it's really great just as it is. Just pour it in a glass, 
you know, over ice and, and drink it. It's wonderful. And we also have uh, been working with a number of, you know, friends of both you and, and mine, um, um, you know, <laughs> the Pappy Van Winkle guys and uh, some other folks, uh, Vivian Howard and others that have developed recipes for us uh, using our juice in cocktails, both alcoholic cocktails and non-alcoholic cocktails. That's terrific. I think with the summer season coming up, I can see lots of interesting um, uses for that. And I see on your website, you have a punch recipe and the Pappy Van Winkle recipe, yeah. which sounds delicious. With the There's one that's just straight Pappy Van Winkle and then the juice. And there's one that, yeah. has, with, with, that has more fruits and things cut up in it. Because the traditional use, people, are, are they still making muscadine wine and jelly where you are? Uh, yes, they do. In fact, in North Carolina in particular, I would say 90% of the current production of muscadines goes to muscadine wine. Uh, Duplin Winery is the, is the largest in the world. They happen to be in the same county we are, and they sell almost half a million cases a year of muscadine wine. So that's very popular. And uh, one of our challenges is we actually need different cultivars than what you use for wine. We need less sugar. They like sugar. Right. Um, so getting the farmers to plant what we need is a big part of the challenge we have. We, uh, we, we can't use that much of what they use now for wine. But uh, the jams and the jellies and any number of, of things are still made and sold in farmers markets in the local area for sure. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely remember muscadine jelly growing up. So yeah. when you plant a muscadine vine, how long does it take you before you have a harvestable amount? Well, the, the, the folks that we've been talking to will, will tell you two years, and some of the old-time farmers will tell you three years, but a, <laughs> a relatively short time, two or three years, depending on your location, your soil, and stuff like that. But it, it's a relatively short period of time that it comes to harvest. Someone was just talking the other day about the rural, one of the government departments that, that has rural grants, and that might yes. be a way to, to get those grants and get some of the farmers started if they need the startup money to um, to get them started. I think that your area has to qualify with, you know, below a certain population number, but, but I think that money is sitting there and a lot of people don't know about it. I, well, I, I didn't know about it, so this is a great idea. I'm, I'm glad you told me. I will, yeah, I will look into The USDA is very active in our area, so I'm sure the local office will be able to to steer us. I, I didn't know about that. That's wonderful. Well, I, I'll offline, I'll send you some information, and we'll put it on the next show if I find it, because I think it can be important for a lot of people if you are in a, a truly rural area. That would be exciting. Well, I want to give people your website. It's Carolina wildjuice.com and right. there really is a lot more information about health benefits you can order online yep. from there which I'm going to do myself and then there are Yay. the recipes yeah of course you've got the recipes and uh, we hope to get Julian Van Winkle on our show sometime and I really appreciate your time I'm very excited about your product and what you're doing and I wish you wish you the best and keep us posted thank you so much I really appreciate it You've been listening to The Drink Tank on Edible Radio. For more information, visit edibleradio.com. This podcast is a production of Edible Communities. All rights reserved.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.